Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister accuses the Conservatives of using procedural tactics to delay votes. Conservative Party is still doing everything they can to block this very important work of defending LGBTQ2 communities by banning conversion therapy, of supporting workers by extending the wage subsidy through the budget, and of course, reaching net zero emissions by 2050. The Canadian Armed Forces Ombudsman says he's often impeded by military and Defence Department officials. When leaders turn a blind eye to our recommendations and concerns in order to advance political interests and their own self-preservation or career advancement, it is the members of the defence community that suffer. And China calls on the United Nations to investigate Canada for crimes against Indigenous people. Historically, Canada robbed the Indigenous people of their land, killed them, and eradicated their culture. It's Wednesday, June 23rd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. We're joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Dan, thank you for being with us today. Good morning, Mark. So Parliament is going to rise for the summer today, and before that happens, of course, the Liberals are trying to get a number of things through, and yesterday, Prime Minister Trudeau described the current Parliament as a place of toxicity and obstructionism, which could be chalked up just to frustration over what's happening this week, or it could be the beginning of a framework for the message that he will give to the Canadian public over why an election will be called late this summer or early this fall. And I suspect a lot of people uh, feel it's the latter. What do you think? Oh, I think it's more the latter than the former. I mean, uh, uh, let's face it, every minority government is a litany of... uh, of uh you know failures and legislative hits and misses and uh and these arguments back and forth as governments try to look like governments even when they don't have the votes to get everything done um and certainly one of the issues mark whenever this election is called is uh you know whose fault is it i mean we're only two years since the last election um and it's very important for all the parties to cast blame on the others as the cause of an election. I, I don't hear the Canadian people chanting for an election anytime soon. So, you know, each party wants to make it look like the other party is the cause of the failure of the current parliament and as a result is the um, cause of the election that people don't really want and, right. and uh, I don't think are, are keen to get into. Yeah, although I think there is an argument to be made that that a lot of minority parliaments don't last more than a couple of years and uh, and that the idea of who forced the election, uh, it, that might be the story for the first few days of the campaign, but unlikely to be the story at the end of the campaign, right? Oh, I agree. Uh, but I would point out that most minority parliaments don't operate under a global sure. pandemic situation. So it is different this time in many ways. Uh, You know, there was a period where, uh, you know, the parties were all trying to sound harmonious. I mean, as the pandemic set in and uh, but that is eroded over time to where we now have uh, all kinds of nitpicking and and delay tactics. I mean, the you know, opposition parties want to make it appear the government can't do anything right and can't get its agenda through. But um, it were ever thus that, uh, you know, one person's, um, 
you know, accountability is another person's obstructionism, and uh, this is the fine balance that parties try to achieve, especially when they're trying to portray themselves as the best alternative to govern. Yeah. All right. Uh, as we move into the summer, there are still a lot of questions about what's happening in the Canadian Armed Forces with with many different allegations being investigated. And uh, and now the military ombudsman has suggested that uh, the defense minister's office has been trying to exert control over investigations and has ignored recommendations for change. Uh, so this is now at the feet of the defense minister who is already very much embattled over over these issues that have arisen. Well, you know, this is one of those issues that I just am baffled at the inability of the Trudeau government to remedy it. I mean, you know, they've had warning after warning, reports, investigations, inquiries. You know, there are a million signposts on the way to fix this problem, and they just can't do it. It, it boggles my mind. And firing a few generals, uh, sure, it's it's a step in the right direction, but it hasn't fixed the problems. And the confidence of the military and the Canadian people's confidence in the military is suffering as a result. Now, this is a fixable problem. I don't understand why it seems like they're trying to rebuild Rome or something, you know. And uh, the, the current minister, uh, Harjit Sajjan, is an obstruction to fixing it. He's not fixing it. He's obstructing. You know, I'm not saying he's doing so out of ill will, but he's not getting the job done. And this is something that could have been fixed politically for the Liberals and for Trudeau a year ago or more. And, uh, you know, so I, I just, again, I, I'm boggled and baffled by uh, why this continues to go on and why it can't be fixed and why no one seems to know what to do. And now these uh, ombuds people are, are totally frustrated because, uh, you know, the, the behavior of the government is frustrating the entire purpose of those offices, which are there to provide some sort of independent uh, review and accountability. And I think the suggestion that... Um, that Gregory Lick, the current uh, ombudsman, is making is that uh, that office report to Parliament and not the minister's office is a, is a step in the right direction. Uh, but I, why that hasn't been done years and years ago, I, I really don't understand. So this is something the Liberals just have to wear it, and they're going to have to carry that like an old rusty tank on their shoulders right into the next election, and the other parties are going to make hay with it. All right. There was a bit of a diplomatic showdown between Canada and China at the United Nations Human Rights Council in Switzerland yesterday. And uh, it started with our ambassador to the U.N. in Geneva reading a statement on behalf of many countries urging China uh, to allow access so independent observers can visit uh the the uh, Xinjiang region and and observe how the Uyghur people are being treated, um, and China shot back against China against Canada rather, saying that our country has to stop its own violations of human rights uh, in its in its own backyard. And Justin Trudeau uh, responded by by saying there's a difference between Canada and China with regard to our indigenous peoples. Um, uh, what do you think about all that went down yesterday? Well, this is a ratcheting up yet again of the uh, increasingly harsh rhetoric going back and forth between Canada and uh, and China. Um, 
you know, the Chinese are pointing out a very large weak spot that Canada has in its record of human rights uh, and and the hypocrisy that does exist in Canada about human rights as it relates to Indigenous people. However, I do think Trudeau has a fair point, and that is Canada did constitute a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. It spent millions of dollars. It bought in a respected uh, First Nations leader to run it. And they made hundreds of recommendations, and it was a painful process all around. But at least Canada is working toward it. It has a long way to go yet. But it is working that way, and I think the consciousness of the problem has been raised among the Canadian people. But what you have with the with the Chinese, and let's face it, here's the Chinese friends at this Human Rights Council: Russia, Belarus, North Korea, Iran, Syria. I mean, this these are the real monster countries of the world who are vastly abusing human rights and and uh, civil rights in all their countries. Uh, you know, torture regimes and murder regimes. And uh, so Canada doesn't have to take any lectures from these guys. It has to keep working on fixing things with the Aboriginal people, um, but it, it 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 doesn't have to take lessons from the likes of Belarus or North Korea or China. That's for sure. But it's it's a, it's a bad situation diplomatically, and it's got a long. There's going to be a long period, I think, to uh, find some way to reconcile that if we're to go ahead with any relations with the Chinese at all. All right, finally, Dan, uh, if there is an election this fall or whenever there is an election again, the rules have been set for uh, the debates and who gets to participate in them. The um, The debate commissioner, former Governor General David Johnston, announced the eligibility rules yesterday. And, uh, and what do you make of that? Well, I think we need rules. That's the point. Somebody make some rules for these debates mm-hmm. and stick to them over a few elections. It's it's flagrant ad hocery as it is now. And uh, you know, I, when in, I was in the TV business and in the you know in the newspaper, we were involved in different uh, you know proceedings leading up to debates and, and trying to set the rules. And you know you're making different rules all the time. And that's not fair. So. You know, small parties who have the most gain from being included in these debates uh, have a justifiable concern that they're not getting their voice out there. But at the same time, do we need somebody with 1% or 1.5% of public opinion uh, to be monopolizing debates and, and turning them into the kind of sideshow that uh, minority parties tend to favor in in, in the election debates? So, uh you know, these rules seem fairly clear. I mean, get somebody elected. That doesn't seem onerous. Uh, you know, you get have to get 4% of the vote. Well, that seems fine, too. I mean, 4% is not, uh, is not nothing, but it is a goal that each party can... Um, can meet and and they must have you know they must be able to get people elected under their own banner so i i think this is a step forward uh, toward making these debates rational uh organized and fair and as long as everybody knows the rules every party has an equal chance then to try to meet those thresholds and and get itself on the podium for the next debate all right dan it's going to be an interesting summer. It um, it it might end early with the uh, call of an election. Um, we will talk to you again soon. Thank you very much for joining us today. Okay, Mark. Take care. That's Dan Legere, longtime political writer and broadcaster. The ongoing sexual misconduct scandal within the Canadian Armed Forces 
and the Department of National Defense is moving from crisis to tragedy. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues the Canadian forces are being crippled by their failure to stop sexual misconduct. The Star writes, We've seen military leaders and former leaders toppled, either facing allegations of misconduct or because they've fumbled their response to the situation so badly that they can't continue in their jobs. The government's contention is that among the scandals, the work of the Canadian forces goes on. No doubt there's truth in that, but it's impossible to believe that the leadership of any organization can be so riven by controversy without it affecting all levels. In the National Post, John Iveson argues the military ombudsman has no confidence in Harjit Sajjan, and the government shouldn't either. Iveson writes, The government has failed to tamp down the wildfire in the Canadian forces, largely because Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan is still in his post. Legislating authority to make the ombudsman independent of the minister's office is not a remedy for all that ails the military, but there are good reasons why it hasn't happened in 23 years. The military and departmental leadership have no interest in their behaviour being reviewed. The military cannot be trusted to reform itself, and this minister cannot be trusted to restore confidence in the system. At Policy Options, Fabian Lang and Mikal Skuderud argue that as with vaccinations, the last mile in our labour market recovery may be the most difficult. They write, There is much reason to be optimistic that we will see strong employment gains in the second half of 2021. However, there are risks in complacency. We need to ensure workers see an incentive to return to work and that they are supported in their transitions through job search assistance and human capital investments. Modest policy efforts now can have big returns on the productive capacity of the economy in the long run. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. MPs are heading into their last day of this spring sitting of Parliament and possibly their last day of debates and votes before a summer election. That possibility has put a lot of attention on the fate of the government's so-called priority legislation. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, the Trudeau government has identified four bills as priorities that it hopes to see passed before Parliament rises. Bill C-30 is the most crucial. It's the budget implementation bill. That bill will be passed by the Senate when it gets there, as it's a money bill. And the tradition in the Opera House is that senators do not obstruct money bills. The other bills in the government's priority list are C-6, that's a bill banning conversion therapy, and Bill C-12, and that's framework legislation implementing reporting requirements for Canadian governments when it comes to climate change. Then there's Bill C-10. It is uh, legislation to modernize the Broadcasting Act and to bring web giants under the Act. All of these bills are politically sensitive. In an election campaign, a party which is seen to have prevented the passage of, say, a human rights measure, like banning conversion therapy, or an environmental measure, like C12, could pay a political price. So there will be a lot of attention on whether the Conservative senators will pass those bills. Now, Bill C-10 on broadcasting is incredibly high profile among arts and culture groups, especially in Quebec but Conservative MPs have been campaigning against the bill, saying it's a threat to free speech. So a number of Conservative senators have said there is no way that they are going to rubber stamp the bill and rush its passage through the Senate. They say proper study of the bill will have to go into the fall at least. So we will see if they manage to delay its quick passage. 
And if the Liberals will have a piece of legislation, very popular in Quebec, that they will say was obstructed by Conservative senators to campaign on in a summer or fall election. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will attend the Liberal caucus meeting and question period. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will attend the Liberal caucus meeting. Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller will be joined by health officials for a news conference to provide an update on COVID-19. Minister Miller will also join the Minister for Women, Mariam Monsef, and the Crown Indigenous Relations Minister, Carolyn Bennett, to make an announcement about high-speed internet for rural and Indigenous communities in Ontario. Small Business Minister Mary Ng will take part in a virtual roundtable with female entrepreneurs and Square Canada. And International Development Minister Karina Gould will meet with entrepreneurs at the Canadian Chamber of Commerce Women in Business Summit. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, June 23rd. Tune in to Primetime Politics every evening on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.